Twin Cities Orthopedics is proud to be the official sports medicine provider for Tommy Athletics. TCO is trusted by some of the biggest names in sports, and they bring that same level of care to our athletes. Thank you, TCO, for being a part of our team. Visit TCOMN.com to learn more. Hello and welcome to Tommy Talks, the weekly podcast bringing you inside St. Thomas Athletics, where we'll get to know those who wear the purple and gray. I'm Corbu Status, and this week our guest is Athletics Director Dr. Phil Esten. We talk about how it's going in year three of the transition, measuring success during the transition, and building for success when the transition is over. We also talk about what it's like making this leap with the world of college athletics getting turned upside down, and much more. Now, here's our conversation with Phil Eston on another edition of Tommy Talks. He's our first two-time guest ever on the podcast, which I know is super important to you. Uh, Dr. Phil Eston, the Director of Athletics here at St. Thomas, welcome back. I've been tracking Corbu, I was wondering when I was going to come back. That's right. He says jokingly. <laughs> <laughs> I know. You text me every time. Is it my yeah, week again? Yeah, 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 right. Not this time. Just keep waiting. But uh, really happy to have you back. And I think it's a good benchmark. We're about two and a half, halfway through, really. Halfway through. Um, Provisional period, yeah. Yeah. Uh, your thoughts on how year three is going so far? Yeah, you know, I think when you step back and look at it from the proverbial 10,000-foot level, it's going well. Uh whether you measure that success competitively or um, from a culture standpoint or from a market kind of reach standpoint, what we're doing from a brand perspective, I think it's going really well. So the macro trends, I think, are in good spot. Some might say, you know, we're making progress more quickly than some thought we would. In other areas, we're not. But I think, you know, at a very high level, I'm very pleased with where with where we're at. Um, of course, that's due to a lot of great support from our trustees and our campus leadership, you know, starting with President Sullivan and now President Fisher, um, and the work of so many in this athletic department that come every single day. I'm inspired by the work that our staff does every day Yeah, because they show up to, to support our student-athletes. They show up to make sure that we can continue to create conditions for their success. It's It's one of those kind of servant leadership opportunities, but... Yeah, you know, on, on the lo- on the level, Corbu, really pleased with where where we are halfway through yeah. what has been a really remarkable journey. Yeah, it really is uh, amazing, and uh, ha- saying it out loud halfway through makes it even more incredible. But it seems like there's been those moments of success everywhere, and some got there a little bit maybe faster than others, but everybody's kind of on their own growth. Yeah, yeah, so. you know, and there's reasons why some are getting there quicker than others, whether it's um, you know, market reasons within a particular sport. You know, you look at the our two hockeys, they're playing in the power five, so to speak, of their conferences, and right. our other sports aren't necessarily playing in those, you know, those relatively speaking equal equal type conferences. But, yeah, um, you know, when, when you sit down and you measure success, one of the things we have to talk a lot about is is keeping an eye on the on the outcome goal, mm-hmm. but really focusing on the process. Because if you if you get yourself too... <clears throat> wrapped up and concerned with winning, we're not going to win that much. Right. And we're not going to win as much as some coaches are accustomed to winning. And I wish that we could win more. I'm as competitive as anybody, but I think we've got to be pragma- pragmatic about it. And if you set yourself up for expecting a win every single time you compete, that it's it's going to be really hard to continue to maintain energy and motivation um, around around the work that we're doing. So, 
yeah, you know, sp- some sports are seeing success more quickly. Th- I'd say competitive success more quickly than right. others. It doesn't mean they're not we're not having great success in the classroom and engaging with our community and building character and a lot of really good process success. But the what's most visible to our fans and in the external world is what's happening competitively. And there's some ebbs and flows there, and and I expect there to be, you know. And all of it is in is in kind of the interest of by year five or year six being in a position to compete for a conference championship, mm-hmm. and then sustain it. And so let's build our cultures build our systems and our processes so that when we hit year five or six, if we win and everybody knows this, we, we don't go to the NCAA tournament right now. Right. And we can debate whether that's right or wrong or it should be changed or shouldn't be changed or, hey, Eston, what are you doing to fix it? <laughs> um, that was one of my questions. <coughs> yeah, <but> you <laughs> can take that off the list. Uh, but but at ultimately, if, if we win, we don't, we don't go anywhere with it. And so we've got permission... I guess, to, to make some decisions in the short term mm-hmm. that allow us to build culture, that allow us to keep our eye on building sustainable success year five and beyond. Um, and what's been interesting about that, Corbu, is that it's been, a, it's been an interesting experiment in that the coaches that have been able to do that, the coaches in our athletic department that have been able to embrace the process, still keep an eye on that outcome goal in the, her, on the horizon, yeah. But really motivate their team around process improvement. Motivate their team around continuous improvement every single day. They're actually seeing more competitive success than some coaches who might only focus on winning and losing. Right. And I think that's a testament. It somewhat validates a lot of what we've been talking about for the last two and a half years in that culture matters. Sometimes culture trumps talent. You know, I've been around championship programs for my entire career whether it was at Ohio State or Minnesota or Cal or Penn State, and I can tell you two things. The national championship team isn't always the most talented team. Right. But the national championship team is normally, if not always, has the best culture. Mm-hmm. And so if we can accept that and apply it to what we're doing in our in our transition, then I think it helps us make some decisions over time. Was there was it a hard sell to coaches? Because this is a, a university that is used to winning, and all of these coaches are used to winning a lot of games. Like when you look at the win loss percentage of the coaches here, it's mind boggling what it they were able to do. So was it a hard sell to say, "Listen, guys, we understand that it's not going to happen right away," or did they embrace it and say, "Okay, yeah, I I know it's going to be hard for me that we're not winning right away, but I appreciate that yeah. you are giving us the chance to build." Yeah, truth be told, it's a hard sell. You know, pride, um, competitiveness personal expectations, personal growth. You start at a certain point in your career, you start thinking about where you are relative to your legacy. You just right. you just do. And some of our coaches are, at, they're all at different points in their career, so they're thinking about their career differently. And whether you like it or not, in our business, we keep score. Yeah. And we keep score for a reason. And when the final day comes and we look back on somebody's career, it's most likely going to be externally evaluated on the proverbial wins and losses. And so that's a hard sell. It really is. But I think we've got coaches that understand that this is about more than just three or four years. It's about building a legacy today so that St. Thomas can be where it needs to be seven or eight or nine or 10 years from now. You know, every year um, I stand in front of our student athletes and talk a little bit about how happy I, I am that they're back after the summer and, um, 
you know, don't do this and do do this and, right. you know, take advantage of resources, et cetera, et cetera. And I always have a quote or a theme. And a couple years ago, it was a Warren Buffett quote who said, somebody is sitting in the shade today because someone planted a tree a long time ago. And that's what we're doing right now, right? right. We're, we're planting trees uh, so someone can sit in the shade many, many years from now. And fortunately, we've got a lot of coaches that understand that. Yeah. It doesn't mean that they don't get frustrated at times. It doesn't mean that they don't wish they were seeing a different result on the scoreboard. Um, and sometimes it takes a closed-door session, uh, and, it, and it's a, hey, come on, hang in there. You yeah. know, we can do this. We're all in this together session uh, to get them to kind of refocus. But I'm, uh, you know, again, uh, on the level, I'm really proud of, of how our coaches have embraced that. And, again, we've, we've seen some competitive results, some in, in more sports than others, but all of them are really thinking about what this five years can do, not just within this five-year period, but for the long-term duration of the program. Yeah. I mean, on paper, it looks like they all are making those steps forward, and it is fun to see the progress going. What about outside of the athletic department? As you travel around, I know you spent a week in California earlier, uh, and just as you move about the country, are you noticing more and more people are recognizing the St. Thomas brand? Yeah, the, the shield has our ST on it. And I've been asked before, what does TS stand for? Right. Right. And and I think people are starting to understand it's ST, right? Yeah. You know, uh, there are three St. Thomases in the United States. University of St. Thomas University, College of St. I don't know what they're all called. One other is in Florida and another is in Texas. And I know the one in Texas is Division III. I'm not, I don't know about the one in Florida. And... And the school in Texas has a men's soccer job open right now, and I've received a couple of applications for that men's soccer job. Right, <laughs> and, and and so, um, and and we've had we've had some email correspondence with fans or whatever about the other St. Thomases, and so, you know, one of the goals is that people understand that that we're in St. Paul, that right. we're not in the Virgin Islands, that we're not in Texas, or yeah. we're not in Florida, and that we are the St. Thomas. Um, but we are definitely starting to see some gains and traction nationally. Excuse me, when, when you know, basketball plays at Marquette on FS1, that mm-hmm. only helps expand and extend the reach. Hockey plays at the Excel Center against yeah. the University of Minnesota in overtime Great on, on Fox. Yep. And, you know, the ratings are as high as, as similar or anything else they've seen in that, in that space. And so... Yeah. It, it allows us platforms to tell a story about the university, tell a story about our journey, about about athletics, about our student-athletes, about all of the great things that are happening in St. Paul. And we're starting to see that, t- again, you know, some traction in Southern California and traction in upstate New York. And, you know, we go out to Harvard this year, and we've got a 1,000 fans there. Yeah. Um, you know, at Marquette the other night, we had 225 people at the pregame tailgate. These are what we expect to see in terms of support over time. And so that, yeah, I, I, I'm starting to see those fruits, you know, and there's a lot of metrics around it too, working with our, um, our communication staff at the, at the university marketing insights and communications, Mike, um, they've got some data and analytics on reach and impressions and ad equivalency, et cetera. And the metrics are all really positive. Yeah. Uh, and so now, you know, the, the, the theory is that that converts to applications and enrollment and, um, you know, the impressions of the university over time. It doesn't happen overnight. Right. 
but you can't have that increase in applications and, and notoriety without the presence in the media. And that earned media is really important. And so, yeah, I do think that we're seeing some some good progress there. Yeah, that's awesome. And I know I am too, just in being out and about and being coast to coast. It is, oh, St. Thomas, okay. And even yeah. e- even within the Twin Cities, people are talking about St. Thomas differently. And, and they under- they know the vision. And it's no longer the, oh, St. Thomas, yeah. you guys just win all the time. It's like, oh, you guys are really being bold and going after something. Yeah, I, I think there's excitement. You know, I, people generally like underdogs. I, I think in this space, for the first time, we're, <coughs> for the first time in a while anyway, we're right. underdogs. And, and I do think that, that people like to cheer for the underdog. And so whether you're a, a Tommy alum or you've got friend or family who went to St. Thomas, I think there's some excitement and just genuine interest around this experiment and this transition that's happening, you know, on the, on the corner of Summit <clears throat> in Creighton. And so, yeah, there's, there, there's a lot of dialogue and conversation about it locally, regionally. And at the national level, you know, I, I receive a ticker every day, and the ticker essentially somebody puts together all the important news that they deem important in athletics for the day, and they put it in one email, and they send it out to all us idiot athletic directors <laughs> that can't find it ourselves. <laughs> and, um, you know, it, it's amazing when there's a story in the ticker about St. Thomas, how many people I hear from that are just following yeah. our trajectory. And it's frankly, it's a lot of fun. It makes you feel proud. You know, I'm proud as an AD. I'm proud as an alum. I'm proud as an employee of St. Thomas. Um, and that's just in our little industry. I know that that expa- expands itself in concentric circles outside of that, too. Yeah. So now you, you alluded to this a little bit, but it is year three, two and a half. How are the expectations changing year after yeah. year? So I expect our radio guy to be able to finish <laughs> sentences. Say words. Yeah, say words, <laughs> finish sentences, not use the wrong universities <laughs> when they're announcing things. Oh, man. Well, um, let's just work on stuff. those yeah, expectations. Those <laughs> um, no, you know, I've, I've got expectations. The, the two big trend lines that I look at, right, at the macro level are student-athlete experience and competitive success. Mm-hmm. And so whether those are on a trajectory, are plateauing, or on, and, or on a downward trajectory, are, that's important to me. You know, the student-athlete experience, we measure through observation. We measure through, um, you know, conversations. We have a student-athlete experience survey we issue every year to all student-athletes. We do exit interviews when student-athletes either expire their eligibility or graduate or matriculate away from St. Thomas. And so that's really good data for us. It's a data point, not the only data point, but a really solid data point for us to get a sense of what that student-athlete experience is like mm-hmm. at St. Thomas. And the, and the neat thing is the survey instrument that we use is used on other campuses too, so we can see some comparative analysis to what's happening in other conferences or other universities, in, and you can drill down to certain questions or sports or at the macro level, et cetera. So that's, that's really important. And if that student-athlete experience isn't fantastic, we've got work to do. Right. On the competitive side, you know, of course, I don't expect any of our teams to be winning conference championships yet, although one has, and we've had some other victories, some really good victories, whether it's, you know, golf tournaments or big games or Power 5 victories or yeah. ranked victories or whatever. Um, but but that trend line should be trending in a in an upward direction, mm-hmm. right? The first the first year, um, you know, I was, I was talking to our, our volleyball coach, Tank Farm earlier today, and the, the first year, man, we just wanted to get out of the 
match, maybe scoring a point without injury, and let's show up and make our alumni proud. Right. And then the next year we win a set, you know, but at some point we can't have moral victories, right? We can't lean into moral victories. And, right. and he's, been, he's been great about this, and we've seen really good steady progress in our volleyball program when you look at the data. When you look at just win-loss records, sometimes it doesn't tell the right story. Mm-hmm. But as an example, in a volleyball program, every single year in a, mar- in, in a good way, we've been increasing our win per- sets win percentage. Yeah. And it's increased by about 10% each of, the, each of the last couple of years. And so that trajectory is putting us in the right, kind of in the right space. Yeah. So, um, you know, success is, you know, the first year was defined as I, I want to be proud. Right. I want to be proud of that. I think we talked about this at one point of the product that that we see in our competitive venues um, and whether it's proud of the way that we're coaching or competing or preparing or engaging with our community or whatever. And then that slowly kind of changes over time. And, you know, our graduation rates are positive. Our our GPAs are positive um, from a compliance standpoint. Andrew Nelson has done a great job building the systems we need in place so that we have everything we need to inform ourselves around NCAA compliance, even though it changes every day. (laughs) Um, So, yeah, I mean, those expectations are slowly changing over time, and I think people are embracing that. Just in a quick note on volleyball, I don't know if people understand how many injuries they had. And for them to compete with that many injuries shows how how many steps they've taken forward. Yeah, it really does. You know, we're... He's looking at how many new players will be in the lineup next year, and it's not necessarily freshmen or transfer students. It's just some of his student athletes had some injuries this year and, and weren't able to compete at all. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm I'm bullish on the future across the board. Yeah. I, one of the things that I felt coming out of of Division Three in the MIAC was that every year in most of our sports, if not all of them, I think we had a reasonable expectation we can compete for, if not win a conference championship. Yep. Across the board, right? And it wasn't always true, but <clears throat> for the most part, I think that's who we became. Yeah. And I would like to think that could be true at this level as well. When you look at the conferences we're in, the Summit League, CCHA, WCHA is probably the most challenging of all of them across the board, and, the, and then the PFL. At some point here in the not-too-distant future, I'm not going to say what year, but at some point we should go into every season with a reasonable expectation to compete for, if not win a, a conference championship. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the difference is going to be <clears throat> what happens at the national level. And and I'm not naive to the fact that at the Division three level, if you win a MIAC championship, you're probably in a national conversation for some kind of whatever it is. And in the leagues we're in now, that may or may not be true. Right. Right? It, it doesn't mean it's not, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it is. And so we then have to build our own kind of postseason expectations around what that means to us uh, in the future. Yeah, what an interesting time to be in an athletic director. <laughs> interesting is yeah. an interesting word. So yeah. when you started back in 2000, 2002, somewhere in there? In my career? Yeah. Uh, 1997. 1997. I yeah. would have never guessed that you were that old. Yeah, I appreciate that. Yeah. yeah. Um, you want a radio guy who says nice things, yeah. right? Yeah. 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 <laughs> um, when you look back at just the ch- and things change, right? That's just the nature of the world. But man, it feels like the last three or four or five years, it's changing so much. How do yeah. you even stay on top of that or keep your feet underneath you in a, an environment where you're also making a big change? Yeah, you know what's interesting, <clears throat> Corbu. I actually think our transition couldn't come at a better time. Really, because 
we have not built systems and traditions and yeah. expectations and budgets around what Division One athletics looked like okay. seven years ago. Right. We're building it around what Division One athletics looks like today. Yep. And so while it's, it is really challenging to continue to pursue a moving target, believe me, mm-hmm. none of us in any industry had fun navigating COVID. Right. Um, yeah. n- you know, and none of us in any industry necessarily enjoy... I think all of us enjoy evolution. Revolution is something different, right? right? And that's that disruption we're seeing in our industry right now is is pretty dis- it's it's disruptive to the business model. However, at St. Thomas, it's easier for us to shift and change and be nimble because of where we're at in our reclassification. Right. Now is that the AD trying to put a positive spin on on where we're at some. Yeah. But again, the truth of the matter is, I don't have 25 years worth of fan expectations that we're going to do this thing every single game because we don't have 25 years worth of data. Right. And so how can we continue to be contemporary and modern in our thinking, embrace who we are? I mean, we say proud past, bright future all the time, and I mean it. Um, but that bright future is going to depend on uh, upon us being able to adjust and adapt to what's happening in real time. Yeah. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I hadn't thought of it that way. And I it really just makes a ton of sense. Uh, so as you move forward, what are some things that you still want to see happen as you move forward over the next half year and then beyond? Yeah, well, of course, Lee and Penny Anderson Arena is is one of, if not the biggest priority for us right now. That mm-hmm. that finishing fundraising on that facility, hopefully breaking ground on that facility this spring um, with an eye on completion in the fall of 25. You know, that, that means a lot of different things to St. Thomas. Number one, it means that we're giving 175 student-athletes an experience that is commensurate with an expectation of a Division One experience for them. When you yep. recruit to that, you know, it's important that we're able to provide provide that to them. Secondly, it means that we're giving our fans uh, uh, an experience that they expect at the Division One level. Um, it's fan experience, it's product, it's amenities, and then, you know, that results in revenue being generated that we can reinvest back into that student-athlete experience. And so yep. there's a little bit of a cycle there. But without great recruits and great coaches and great support systems, we're not going to be competitive. Without being competitive, we're not going to see fans. Without seeing fans, we're not going to generate revenue. And so it all kind of feeds one another. And that's the business that that's the business that we're in. The enterprise that we run is is about the impact that we make on our student athletes. But it's got to be funded from somewhere. Right. And um, you know, so that arena is really the top of our priority list right now and then continuing to work with with our programs our coaches our student athletes on what does your four look like you know what does your five look like what do you need from me what do you need from our staff what do we need to do together to support you one of the things i tell our student athletes i think st thomas is a place that can do just about anything but we can't do everything right and so we've got to make some decisions and prioritize prioritize some things and so as our student athletes observe what their experiences are like, what other experiences are like, I encourage them to share that with their sport administrator, their coaches, their trainers, myself, so that we can put on the widest angle lens possible. Widest of angle lenses Widest possible? angle lens possible? I don't know. Let's You're just, asking let's the wrong just person. As broad as possible <laughs> point, of, point of view. Yeah. Um, so that we can give them the resources that they that they need. And, and again, in, in, the, in the spirit of, we can do just about anything. We're not going to be able to do everything right now, though. So... 
I, you know, I'd say those are, those are important. And then, and then a little bit longer term, you know, we've got to figure out a way to stabilize this, our budget, stabilize revenues, um, you know, land on what the expense budget's going to look like. Um, and, and that expense budget is, is driven by scholarships, operational dollars and compensation. And so, and then the revenues, the, the three big drivers, not the only drivers, the three big drivers are game day revenues, which is ticket sales and parking and merchandise, et cetera, mm-hmm. philanthropy, um, and then multimedia rights, sponsorship and advertisements and distribution. Right. Um, so th- we need to stabilize in that space. And I think a lot of people expected that this startup that we're, that we're kind of experiencing now of, of Division One Athletics, uh, we needed a little bit of seed money. And so fortunately, we, we had some of that through um, investments from some donors and investment from the board, yeah. among some other things. But eventually, that seed money expires, and so we got to figure out to, a way to stabilize that over time. Yeah. So you're a uh, – I want to ask you about this, too, with the baseball and softball. Any new information on that? Yeah, the great news is that we own the land. Um, you know, we've, we've worked with the city right. uh, of St. Paul and the St. Paul Port Authority to identify what needs to be mitigated from a contamination perspective in, in the soil. Um, and so, and then all of the permitting process and kind of city, um, you know, planning has been complete. And so we've got whatever variances we needed against the Highland Bridge Master Development Plan um, again, working, this has been well-documented, working with the city of St. Paul, who they were great to work with in this process, um, to identify, you know, those, um, mitigating points that we needed to work through in order to, to be able to proceed with the, you know, the project. So we've got all of that complete. Uh, our focus right now from a fundraising standpoint is Lee and Penny Anderson Arena. And once yeah. that's complete, we can sit down then and think about, okay, what's, what's next from a fundraising standpoint. And that facility is the next facility for us to to yeah. take a, to take a look at it and to consider and to figure out a way to finance. Right. Um, yeah. So that that's where that's where that sits right now. It's real. I think it's a really important um, next step for us as we think about the future physical structure, physical facilities for all of our sports. Right. So yeah, opens up some space other places once all those could let us fall. you know think about how we use the fields where baseball softball are now you know softball yeah. and, and soccer are sharing a field and right we have staff that that take down and put up the softball fence every day and you know they do a great job and i think there's a lot of appreciation from our staff for the work that goes into it but it's it's not something that we want to do forever and so how can we solve that yeah among other things yeah when you first became an athletic director, did you think, I'm going to have to know about soil samples? <laughs> I don't know how to spell soil samples. <laughs> you know, that my first experience there was with what was then TCF Bank Stadium as oh, we were right. building the stadium. And, you know, the um, the location of the stadium is on what were four, many people probably remember this, four really huge, massive parking lots. Yeah. And just north of that is a railroad yard and some of the cre- creosote that they used to treat the rail tiles. Railroad ties, yes, uh, had creosote, and that creosote had gotten into the soil, and we had to we had to clean the dirt, clean the dirt. We had to clean the dirt. <laughs> so, um, yeah, that was my first yeah. kind of soiree into soil so samples. Yeah, you're an old pro now. Yeah, yeah, that's it was right. It's a long time ago, Corbu. <laughs> so now, when you go through and uh, aerate your lawn, you can pick up the little <laughs> thing and be like, oh yeah, it like, looks good to me. Yeah, everything's looks healthy. Good to me. Yeah, <laughs> we've got a pretty good fertilized lawn. We got a couple of dogs, so. We're doing pretty well. Yeah, it's taking yeah. care of itself. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> uh, you were recently named to the TCB 100 by Twin Cities Business. Congratulations. Yeah, thank you. Uh, what does that mean to you? 
this is going to sound a little cliche, but you know, I, I, I think, um, I think head coaches are as good as their assistants and their team. And that's the same thing for somebody in my position. And, um, we have a fantastic leadership team. The stable of coaches that we have are as good as any I've worked with anywhere I've been. And, and I think a lot of people know where I've been. Um, and so I'm, I'm really, really fortunate to work alongside some awesome people. And, and, and listen, when things go wrong, I'm going to get blamed. And when things go well, I'm going to, I'm going to accept right. some of the, the credit that might go along with it. And so I'm, you know, as, as much as anything, um, I think it's, again, I, I keep using this word, it's a validation of what we're doing. It's a validation of the culture we're building. It's a validation of the progress that we've made in our reclassification. I think as much as anything, it's a, it's a validation of the impact we're having on our student-athletes and, and, and our broader community. People, when people notice that, good things, good things happen. I've always been somebody who, um, you know, I believe that the grass is greenest where you water it. I've always felt that way, and and then good things happen as a result of that, and I think that's what's happening at St. Thomas right now. Yeah, it, there really is. It feels like everybody's pulling in the same direction here, and there's a um, everybody's in it for the lift. They yeah. all know what they got into, and everybody's here, and that's huge, right? Yeah. If you have one person pulling the wrong way, it can make a big difference. Yeah, one of, one of our culture principles is family first, and I, and let me, if you don't mind, describe what that means to me. Yeah, you know, I've got. Danny and, and my three kids, Lucas, Cooper, and Hannah, and I just said their names so they can hear their names on the radio. Um, <laughs> just to prove that you just know Just to them. prove that I remember them. Uh, <laughs> but that, that's the most important piece of my life, right? And, and I don't want anybody to think otherwise, and I don't want anybody in our department to feel as if they're being pulled in a direction other than where that kind of founding principles are for them, the family-first mentality. However, you know, I've got two brothers, um, both younger brothers, we were athletes growing up and, you know, we were pretty competitive and I guarantee you, uh, that they sometimes think I'm a knucklehead and I think they're knuckleheads all the time too. Yeah. But, but one of the, one of the things that, that I know is that if they make a decision or do something that others might question, I know what their values are. Mm-hmm. I, I can give them the benefit of the doubt. Um, whether it's my brothers or my parents or extended family, because we come from, a set of shared values. Our core purpose might be the same. And so, again, giving people grace, holding people accountable, mm-hmm. um, giving people the benefit of the doubt, having direct communication, being very transparent with expectations, those are all things that happen in family. Yep. And so when we say family first, it means a couple of things. It means let's make sure not to forget that the most important things happening in our lives every day are what's happening at home. But also, let's also not forget that we have shared values. We've got a core purpose. And what it all boils down to is treating one another with respect and dignity. And I, and I think, Corbu, some of what you just described comes from that. Mm-hmm. I really do. Appreciate your time, Phil. Always great catching up with you. Yeah. I kept you a lot longer than I said I would, but I do appreciate it. Well, I look forward time. to being on here for a third time. A third time. At some point in the next couple of years. Yeah, and probably a fourth and a fifth. We'll see.